This is a tablespoonful of cinnamon. Now, somebody's tried to tell me that putting a full spoonful, uh, and this is not a full spoonful, it's a tablespoonful of cinnamon in your mouth at once is impossible. And I've seen all these younger people than me who shoving this stuff in their mouth and then <laughs> they're all over the place because they can't take it. Well, believe me, I've faced worse than tablespoonfuls of cinnamon during my life. People have thrown things at me all my life and all my life I've headbutted them away or taken the challenge. I'm going to take the challenge now. This is one of the fullest tablespoonfuls of cinnamon I've seen in the various challenges that I've seen recorded. Mine's going to be the best of all, and I bet you I won't even balk, OK? I won't even balk because I've been trained to take pain, OK? I've taken pain all my life. Here we go. I'm told there should be an explosive reaction that won't be from me. I'm going to count you down. Three, two, one. And now, live from space, the 200% podcast with Football 365 Zian King and Edward Carter. fans and welcome to 200% podcast number 321. Yeah. 321. 321. I got sucked into a real wormhole on this earlier this evening. I was like, I know what I'll do. Watch 321 for three hours. No, what what I'll do is I will do my good boy stuff. And, uh, and 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 actually get some research done for once. Incredible! Sense. I know, right? Three, two, one. So, in the first place, the fixture was this is Saturday the eighteenth of November, twenty seventeen. So not too long ago, although it might as well be a lifetime ago. Might as well be a lifetime ago. Isthmian League Premier Division. Metropolitan Police 1. Evening all. Dulwich Hamlet 4. Attendance okay. 321. Yes. Uh, I was I was drawn to a couple of things. Firstly, it was 4-0 half time. Okay. Which included a hat-trick, first half hat-trick for Reese Alassani. Okay. Hold that thought. The other thing was that Metropolitan Police's goal was scored by Isaac, brackets, Zach, close brackets, Newton. I'll put it this way, right? It looks like it was written by a policeman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who else is going to keep the match records at Metropolitan Police? Evening all. But this Reese Alassani, I I had to look up because he's... (laughs) The, the, the name rang a bell with me from somewhere. Yeah. And he was 
he he's had a really or really kind of interesting career. He started out at Crystal Palace and then he played for England under seventeens and under eighteens. And Palace didn't offer him a contract and he ended up kind of going all over the place a little bit, but he ended up at Dulwich and had a really, really good run. And this goal was part of his really, really good run when it looked as though he was finally kind of living up to this promise, which I think he's admitted himself because, in fact, I know he admitted himself because I read an interview with him. Mm. The the expectation, level of expectation that came from being in the England under 17 and 18 team proved to make things much more difficult than they might otherwise have been. Well, it's often this way. But anyway, he was offered a contract at Coventry after at the end of this season. Okay. In fact, it might even have been just a couple of months after this. They might have signed him in the middle of the season. And he went to Coventry, but it didn't quite work out there. And he kept going out on loan. And he ended up on loan back at Dulwich. And then he was back at Dulwich on a contract last season. Seemed to be playing until about February or March. And the last I could find of him playing was on trial at Walsall. Baby, baby, baby! During the summer. But I can find neither hide nor hair of him having played a single game this season for anybody. That's a mystery. And the really weird thing is that I think he was a really popular player at Dulwich. You know, when he was banging in loads of goals for them. Yeah, well, that makes but sense. That I couldn't find any reference to kind of what happened with him being released, what you know, what what the story had been there, because He's had a real kind of up and down time of things that I can that I can see. I think he's about twenty five or twenty six now, something like that. In the peak years of his career. Yeah, and you you you'd think that if somebody's been playing at that level, even if it hasn't worked out for them, that they'd be able to drop down. Well, yeah, I mean, actually, it's probably worth sticking a pin in that because we will be coming back to a very similar story. Later on. Well, uh, that was that was supposed to be a segue. It's a very good segue. <laughs> Um, we will, yeah, we are going to get into but it. It's not in the running order. Not, not in the running order, it isn't. No. This is the bit where I call you a Nazi. <laughs> it's worse than Nazi Germany. That's why I prefer the English That's why I prefer the city. We went to a football match this weekend and it turned out to be a very enjoyable football match and a full, some full reportage is going to be incoming. Yes. Featuring, it is worth pointing out, a story of an un, another up and down career. Yeah. But... Before we get there, it might be a good idea, I thought, to touch on some matters of moment. And what is the biggest matter of moment in football today? Is it that UEFA event? No. It is that Everton could be in a lot of trouble. What's what's weird about that, really weird about it, is that um, Everton's comeback lasted precisely one match and one match only. It was, I mean, yeah, it, it, it was a game to take a certain amount of the pressure off of old uh, Agent Rafa, but 
it was a, a one shot deal, wasn't it? And yeah, in I fact, mean, when you look at their record, it's a, they're absolutely plumb last in the form table. If you yeah. look at the last uh, eight, ten, or twelve games, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm watching kind of all the Premier League, or you know, almost all of the Premier League at the moment. Multi-screen. And I can tell you, I can tell you with absolute confidence that Everton are currently the worst team. Really. What even worse than Newcastle? I, I, th- I think I think actually they'd run it tight, close close with Newcastle. They play Newcastle on December the thirtieth. Uh, okay. If that game goes ahead, well, uh, if there's any if there's any games going ahead by then, yeah. But um, you know, if there are, then they play each other in Newcastle's latest battle of the bottom two in the division matches. They see they seem to seem to keep on having these absolutely critical games against other teams at the bottom of the table, whether it's Norwich or whether it's Watford or Burnley, and next it's going to be Everton. These 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 games keep on coming round. There's not much between them. I don't. I don't. Newcastle were fucking lousy against Leicester. They were terrible and funnily enough there you know the star turns uh for Leicester with James Madison and um Yuri Tielemans and I was sitting watching it thinking to myself you know what players Newcastle could really do with at the moment yeah well exactly exactly James Madison and Yuri Tielemans well it ke- it keeps coming back to that because when we watched the Merseyside derby, it kept coming back to the fact that the sort of manager that Everton needed was Jurgen Klopp. And yeah. the sort of manager, indeed, that Manchester United needed is also Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. These teams do have a way of exposing exactly what's mm. wrong with the uh, their lower table brethren. I was one of the 373 people who watched Crystal Palace against Everton. <laughs> on um on, on Sky on Sunday afternoon. Was it really only three hundred and seventy three people? Because we're not we're not far off that on in terms of podcasts. Oh, so the, well, Sky don't release their viewing figures. So as far as I'm aware, you can say anything you like. All right. Well, but no, I mean the, the 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 figures for the for matches that don't involve the you know the big six clubs are not usually understood to be particularly high. Time was, of course, that Everton were one of the big six clubs. Well, yeah, that's very true. They are categorically not <laughs> at this precise moment in time. So you, you watched it yesterday. I saw the highlights, and I think one of the things that I probably missed out on in terms of the highlights is there seemed to be on Twitter um, mm. a viewpoint, and I believe you were the person who made this made me aware of this, that Everton completely lost their way for a while. Was it after the second goal? They were just sort of milling around aimlessly. It was just, there was just no particular coordination and at times it, it didn't appear very much shape. What was really strange was that you got these flashes of who these teams are. So, you know, with with an hour played, or just over an hour played, 
Crystal Palace, uh, 2-0 up. They've got Richarlison and somebody else, I can't remember who it was, sitting on the bench glowering because they're pissed off that they've been taken off yeah. as substitutes. You've got the you can you can hear the Everton supporters booing. <laughs> you can hear the Everton supporters booing from Liverpool. I I was thinking to myself, do you know booing? Yeah, <laughs> that's got a real culture about it, hasn't it? Do you boo at away matches? Well, you do. Or do you really need to be at a home match? If you're booing at an away match and it gets on the microphone, then you're booing loud. Well, I guess so, yeah. So you've got all this going on. They're 2-0 up. They've got this kid playing for them who's just fucking outstanding. He's really good. And you, you, you're cruising along. The other team are literally falling to pieces in front of you. Within 10 minutes, it's 2-1 and suddenly you're hanging on for dear life. Yeah, it was a very, very Crystal Palace performance wasn't it I mean, yeah. only and only after they scored that the the last minute goal was it actually comfortable the scoreline would suggest that it was comfortable the whole way but it don't, didn't appear that way to me no there was a there was a period of about 10 minutes after the second goal when it really looked as if Everton could get this back to two all. And the thing is that I was writing this piece as I was seeing it. You know, you you that that that's kind of how it works. And I was like, I'm going to have to completely fucking rewrite this if Everton score again. But they do not deserve this. They don't deserve it. Oh, and and even as it stood, the third goal kind of dulled the point I was trying to make, which was that Palace have really, they've been really hanging on here, despite the fact that they were in a completely advantageous position. And this is the exact inability to kill off a game, which means that they've drawn eight out of their 15 league games so far. And then, of course, Gallagher spanning another one. Yeah. From the top corner into the top corner in the last minute. And I, I, and I put that bit in and I was like, actually, no, it doesn't make any difference. That point remains. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because throughout that 20-minute period, that last 20 minutes of that game, were exactly why Crystal Palace have drawn so many games. Well, this is the general tendency. I mean, this is exactly what happened when Everton beat Arsenal, isn't it? It was like, oh, well, they've beaten Arsenal. All of Everton's problems are now over. Well, no, they're they're not. They've just won one game. It's one game. But the thing is that... The thing is, I don't know how it would, what the reaction would have been if Everton had got it to two all. Because I tell you what, it was within five minutes um, that they had a chance for two all. I think there's a chance they might have booed actually, because it was a really, really good save. It was, and yeah. Then, and then there was the point where he pulled it back from the touchline and it kind of went almost mathematically perfectly between three players and none of them could get to it, none of them could get to it or react. And really during that period it looked like they they're gonna do this. They they could easily score a second goal here. And with fifteen minutes to go against this team that can't kill a game off, they might even win it. Yeah. You know, and and what how what the thing but the thing is that it's just as true 
that Everton were a shambles for the first 70 minutes. Yeah. You know? Well, All of this, and this is the thing about football, that that kind of makes the modern sort of partisan sort of discourse of the game so fundamentally stupid, <laughs> is its utter inability to take into account that all of these things can be true at the same time. Yeah, this is this is it. it, it it's it's absolutely binary thinking to to think that Everton Everton can be bad and get a result at the same time. People are people aren't willing to accept that a bad team could get a result or luck a result. They they were they were bad for 70 minutes and then some horrific Crystal Palace defending gave them a goal. Yeah. But the thing is that all three Crystal Palace goals came from individual defensive sloppy mistakes by Everton players. Well, I've heard... Um, I, I saw some people tweet in that they, they thought that Seamus Coleman, skipper of Everton, yeah. was deliberately throwing himself on a few grenades in order to help expedite the sacking of Rafael Benitez. Well, I mean, he for the third goal, certainly, he just punted it straight to Conor Gallagher. Yeah, <laughs> just, and, and, I, it was It's so inexplicable, otherwise, that a professional would do that. But then the, the thing is that all of it is kind of inexplicable to me because I'm an adult. <laughs> I don't imagine if I if I acted like that at work, the amount you'd need an electron microscope to see the amount of shrift that I would get. <laughs> and deservedly so. It's interesting that you say that you think that Everton are possibly not even as good as Newcastle. Because of course mm. famously one of Newcastle's big problems is that the squad has been so terribly neglected. This is not a problem that Everton share. Well, the thing is that they are a different sort of bad. It's a different... Newcastle's... Yeah, Newcastle's players just aren't up to the job. Yeah. You can you can see that. They're just, they're just not up to it. They've got maybe two or three who are. This is tried and tested and established. And the difference between them and Everton is that Everton are just like this expensive car crash. Well, I don't... Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they're doing. They're, the, 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 I mean, part of the problem is that you've now got kind of manager after manager after manager. And so you've just got one person's job layered on top of another's. Yeah. And then another person's job layered on top of that. And then, so, you know, what you end up with is ultimately just a mess. Yeah. Well, they've had they've had five managers in the last five years. Yeah. And that that's always going to end it in a, a hodgepodge of old shit, isn't it? If none of them are achieving what you expect them to achieve, then it's entirely possible that it might not it might not be the managers that are the problem. Well, it's possible. Yeah. I mean, but uh, what I will say about Farhad Moshiri is that he's not scared to back his managers. By any means, is he? Oh no, no, no! He he would love to be spending even more money, and I understand that he can afford it. But he's got to come within Premier League 
financial fair play guidelines and Everton are kind of skirting close to breaking them already. Well, that in itself is damning, isn't it? Because who's it who's is. doing the scouting? Who's making the decisions about these players? Well, the thing is that they, they offloaded their act of penance after the events of the last few weeks was to throw their director of football on the fire. Oh, well, that was a good idea, wasn't it? But I don't see how that changes their immediate fortunes on the pitch. It's a shame. And the biggest problem here is that I don't see how they improve at the moment. So they re- are they really going to write off Rafa? Because that's going to be expensive. And, of course, it's going to be another step down the same well-trodden road. Yeah, and if you bring in this new manager, then... Has he he's still got to work with the same bunch of players, yeah. And the thing is that this sort of thing is actually kind of going on all over the place at the moment. Now Spurs got away with sacking their manager after like eleven weeks or whatever it was, because they had somebody who was an obvious upgrade clearly lined up. They were like they were going. I I think the, the reflecting back on it now, I think that Levy wasn't certain that he could get Conte, but was confident he could get Conte and was going all in. Yeah. So, you know, it can be proved that with a dysfunctional bunch of players and some really outstanding coaching, you can get a tune out of a completely demoralised and quite plausibly unfit team. One thing I saw was Mike Parry of TalkSport and um, what are his other achievements? Uh, that incredibly racist thing he said on the telly and his abject failure to eat cinnamon. That's what he's really famous for. He's also, yeah. he is uh, a, a member of the Everton board, or at least he is a shareholder who has... Right. And his uh, his great plan was to try and table a motion to get Wayne Rooney installed as manager. I don't think it would be a bad idea if they got relegated into the championship <laughs> um, because I think that Rooney is as, as I've said on this podcast and in articles on the, that their internet before I think that Rooney is doing a an outstanding job in almost impossible circumstances at Derby mm-hmm. they should be on minus 21 points the state of that club yeah the players you know the players that they they've got in it is it is a proper bunch of inglorious bastards (laughs) and i kind of and i kind of like that actually you know is that not a kind of approach you could see everton benefiting from so if they if they went down then fine but at this moment in time they need rapid transformation in the premier league and the only way you're going to get that is top dollar on a top European coach. And I don't know where to fucking start with that, you know. <laughs> Who do you get in? Every every out-of-contract European manager just put all their names in a big old top hat and see where it ends up. Do you know what? Eddie Howe would have been a good match for Everton. I can, yeah, I can see that. I'm just looking at the next 
uh, Everton manager betting. Okay. And Wayne Rooney is third favourite, five to one. Doesn't surprise me. I have to say, it's not a particularly. It's a list where the better coaches are at longer prices. <laughs> one of those. Yeah, Zinedine Zidane is forty to one. <laughs> I'm gonna die. Oh God, Zinedine Zidane. <laughs> four, four to one. Oh, if you fancy me. wasting a fiver, uh, the favourite, the favourite is Casper Hulmand. Okay, absolutely no idea who that is. Absolutely no idea either. No, he's three to one favourite. Nuno second favourite. Wayne Rooney third favourite. Duncan Ferguson <laughs> and Frank Lampard. Together at oh, last, joint, joint fourth favourites and fifth favourites, and where my money is definitely going to be going, Graham Potter. Uh, well, I mean, I, I you could always start supporting Everton. Well, I, they wear I, they wear blue and white. They lose a lot. I'm very fond of Everton. Yeah, well, Everton have lost more Premier League games than any other team. In history. There you go. There you go. You see, your rightful environment. But I think that Graham Potter will be wise to stay at, at, at Brighton, really, given what I'm looking at here with this Everton team. The last five Everton managers have spent yeah. a total of five hundred and twenty-five <laughs> million pounds. So, in five years, that's an average of a hundred and five million pounds per year. And what have they got to show for it? This is this is the, the the team they've got. They've got Jordan Pickford. Okay, he's the England goalkeeper. He's okay. Yeah, he, he has his moments. Michael Keane, Mason Holgate, John Joe Kenny, Jared Braithwaite. They're all young defenders who really need yeah. some guidance alongside them if they're going to actually oh, be... Oh, God. All right. All right. Papa. All right. <laughs> and then the midfield... I mean, I don't even know where to start with this. Fabian Delph. <laughs> Gilfie Sigurdsson. Anti, Anti-vaxxings Fabian Delph. Yeah, well, he's not even the biggest problem because you've also got Gilfie Sigurdsson in there. Um, All right. Tom, oh, God. Tom yeah. Davis, Allen. Up front, of course, which is the, the area that most people are pointing to, they're saying, well, D- Dominic Calvert-Lewin is injured, so how do you expect them to score goals? To which one reasonable riposte would be, if you've spent half a billion pounds in the last five (laughs) years, do you not think it would have been germane to buy more than one person who could score a goal? Yeah. They've got Alex Iwobi in there. I mean, Alex Alex Iwobi is in there. Formerly of Arsenal Reserve. Alex Iwobi cost £27.36 million. Some of these. I don't even imagine spending twenty-seven point six million pounds, and now I'm imagining and an, like an Amazon delivery guy turning up at my front door with this great big cardboard box, and it's like I don't know. I've entered some sort of like competition well, where I spend. I've spent twenty-seven point six million pounds on this, and I open the box, and it's fucking Alex in one. Some of these prices are, are really are. Eye water. 44.46 for Sigurdsson. Yeah. 25.65 for Keane. Yeah. <laughs> these, the, I mean, 20, 27.23 million pounds for Yerry Mina. <laughs> can we, 
Can we all just take a moment? Because I don't think that this happens enough in football. I really don't. (laughs) Pause and take a moment to consider how big those numbers are. I know, you, you, it wears you down. 27 million pounds. (laughs) 27 million pounds. Yeah. First of all, how much is an average lottery win? What is it? About eight million or something like that. Yeah, some probably something like that. Maybe yeah. let's say uh, if you won eight point five five million pounds on lottery, you could have bought so Fabian Delf. Uh, <laughs> but, but what this is saying is that that Yerry Mina is the equivalent to more than three lottery wins. Yeah. And, which is an astonishing thought. And like I say, we don't give enough consideration to how absolutely insane these numbers are. £500 million. How dare you, Everton? Who the fuck do you think you are? Any football club. Message is the same, really. What the fuck? Well, I mean, let's let's not forget that when Big Sam was appointed... Just in time for the January transfer window in 2017, he dropped a cool 40.5 million on oh, Theo Walcott and Senk Tosun. <laughs> <laughs> it, it defies belief, doesn't it, really? I'm not entirely convinced that Senk Tosun wasn't a pro evolution character. Most of these players. You know, they don't even appear in the team particularly. In fact, no. many of the best players from from the Everton team, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he cost £1.6 million. Uh, Damari Gray, who is a really good player, £1.8 million. Andros Townsend was free. Salomon Rondon was free, and I still got, think they got fucked over that <laughs> <laughs> Just oh, what do you what do you say? What do you do when they've spent all this money and they've still only got half a squad? I, I tried to figure out what a team that they could muddle together out of that, but really, you, you, you they're still missing a proper left back, a proper centre back, a proper defensive midfielder, a proper midfielder, and that's if you trust Richarlison to be. Uh, the a strike partner for Calvert Lewin. Yeah, and but the thing is that Rich Allison absolutely caught fire against Arsenal. He was he was brilliant. Thirty five point two eight million. Rich Allison. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to pay for him to do it once. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's absolutely crackers. Oh. Let us consider the prospect of Everton being relegated. It's something that few of us have ever seen. Well, I'll tell you what, I used to play Championship Manager 97-98 and Everton always got fucking relegated. They did, yeah. It's weird, isn't it? So actually, there's a part of me which is going to be like, I I don't think it's quite going to be the culture shock for me that it is for everybody else. Because, I mean, for anybody under the age of 68... Everton have been in the First Division or the Premier League for the whole of your lifetime. They've had a few close calls. 1999, 
they had the mysterious and slightly unusual knight in shining armour, Kevin Campbell, on loan from Trabzonspor. Uh, 1998, Howard Kendall managed to steer them to safety on goal difference alone. We After a one-all draw with Coventry, they got through because Bolton needed to get a point at Chelsea. And there was the fascinating and endlessly edifying spectacle in that match of the Chelsea fans booing their own players because they wanted to see Bolton get a goal mm. and yeah. relegate Everton. I remember that one and I think the next one you're going to say. Yeah, the big one, the great escape. 8th of May, 1994. They needed to beat Wimbledon at home and hope that results went their way. And they did beat Wimbledon at home, despite going 2-0 down in a three-sided Goodison Park that was being rebuilt. Sheffield United let in a last-minute winner again at Chelsea and succumbed to a 3-2 loss, and that was the end of them. And I think, again, it was on goal difference. A very strange match, that one. The Everton, um, as I say, went 2-0 down. Then they got a really, really fortunate penalty. And then there was a very dodgy piece of goalkeeping by Hans Sagers at the end, which, you know, <laughs> neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. And then in the middle of that, Barry Horn just swung a leg at it and it went in from 30 yards. It was one of those. Yeah. The, the last time Everton were actually relegated, 5th of May, 1951. It was the day after the Festival of Britain opened. And it, okay, and it was right. Michael Palin's eighth birthday. So that's that's us in the in the uh, mindset and in the mood. Everton actually went into that game outside of the relegation zone. There were two relegation places from the 22-team first division. They lost 6-0. <laughs> To, That's quite They lost 6-0. Chelsea, again, won their match and managed to squeak ahead, as indeed did Sheffield Wednesday, who were the team who beat Everton 6-0. Uh, <laughs> Everton then finished bottom of the league on goal average. Their manager was a bloke called Cliff Britton at the time. He was also the manager who got them back up again in 1954. Oh, OK. Good for him. The the Everton management, uh, or the Everton board, reacted to the relegation, interestingly enough, by saying, right, we're not spending any more money on this shower. You're going to have to develop your own players. And, you know, that's what they did. And yeah. you, you could possibly argue that there's something in that. Because, well, the, the team they've got at the moment <laughs> cost a half a billion pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Half a billion. My crystal ball is saying Timo Werner to Goodison Park for seventy million next summer <laughs> in the championship. Actually, the championship. I personally, I don't, I, I can't see Everton being relegated. I think that they're they're not great, but there are three teams that are worse than them. Uh, I think they need to improve. They definitely need to improve. Yeah. I think that Norwich have substantially improved under Dean Smith. 
and are capable of not being amongst the three worst teams in the division. Yeah. Uh, I think you are ultimately looking at three from five. Burnley, Newcastle, Watford, Norwich and Everton at the moment. For me, bro. to the football we did go to the football it was uh, something of a last minute affair but it actually turned out to be a very entertaining afternoon you wanted to go and visit a piece of your past Enfield Town well well they were playing they were playing Bognor they were playing Bognor Regis, Regis which isn't so yeah. far um, this I didn't realise it was that close actually. I, I don't know how far I thought it was. I think I thought it was about forty miles, but it's not. It's fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> if, when when you go in in a car, it doesn't seem so far, thanks to the unique yeah. way that British public transportation is funded. But oh yeah, but then you, you can't even get a direct train from Worthing anymore. You have to change at Barnum. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! Yeah, luckily, luckily blows, for us, we didn't have to deal with it. Blows goats. We were we were chauffeured. We were chauffeured we were. by my wife to the incredible Bognor Regis, the jewel in the crown of West Sussex seaside resorts, and. It was it was actually a, a very very interesting game. Uh, one thing yeah. I didn't know until mm-hmm. Enfield opened the scoring was that Enfield essentially have a ringer, uh, a player called no. Mohamedou Fall. He's, he's he's all correctly registered. Oh yeah, he's a, no, he's absolutely co- correctly registered, but he really shouldn't be at this level, should he? I've, I, you know I, I've watched the man play. He scored. 50 goals in 55 games for them. Well, he scored... Over the entire time he's played He scored 20 so far in the league this season. 
Yeah, he's an exceptional footballer, and he is too—he is too good for that level. He's an extraordinary man. He's six foot five. I think he probably weighs about six and a half stone. He looks like he's been stretched. Yeah, yeah, he's all—he is all arms and legs. Apparently, he's Joe Gomez's cousin. I didn't know that. Uh, oh, he also, as you go. pointed out, he played for Bolton Wanderers very briefly, but that didn't work out for him. He also—he—he yeah. he began his career playing for L'Aquila. In the Italian fourth division, which yeah. again, a, an unusual move, an unusual step. He's lived. I'll say, I'll say oh, well, that absolutely. But he he opened the scoring with a volley, and then four minutes later, took an absolutely delicious touch to take the ball away from the defender and leave himself one on one with Bogner's goalkeeper. Yep. Scored again. And at that point, yep. it looked like this could be an absolute rout. As you said, Enfield had beaten somebody 10 yep. nil away recently. Yeah. You could see how that situation came about. But it was a very peculiar game because at that point, after his goal celebration had subsided, and, you know, let's not kid ourselves here, his goal celebrations were taking up to five minutes at the time. Yeah, it was a very long time. The referee kind of came over to break up the second one, and he wasn't he wasn't stopping. No, that. no, so, no. <laughs> yeah, just that. But the thing is that the referee didn't do anything. Then he just kind of stood there. But at, at that point, basically, the old deck chair came out, didn't it? And yep. and what happens to a team when you've got one absolutely outstanding player? If that player doesn't, it can't be bothered to play anymore because you know they've done their bit. Or they've run out of goal celebrations. And Bogner started to get back into the game. It was 2-1 at half-time. You were in the Bovril queue when Bogner managed to pull one back. Well, well, I I asked the very salient question of... Well, yeah. Are there people who drink Bovril with milk in it? And I maintain that that, they are two different worlds. A cow does not... Cannot imagine Bovril. Well, no, obviously not. But I mean, you know, I I did flippantly. I will admit, <laughs> I did describe it as the full cow experience. Yeah. Well, you but, you were um, wondering about. But I was interested. I'm just interested to know if there are a subset of people who do the go for that full and, absolute you know, cow. It looks like black coffee. It looks like a drink that you might put milk in. I mean, it's hot, it's dark. Yeah. I'm also interested in hearing from listeners who've accidentally <laughs> poured milk into Bovril and then drunk it under the sun. They maybe you picked it up from a tea hut at a football ground and picked up the wrong one. I have a feeling if you if you've ever done that, get in contact. If you please. if you put any if you put any milk in a Bovril, there's a chance that a whole cow just sort of emerges from it and. Yeah, gives you a good punch bull, in the eye. Just a, yeah, just a hoop. I think it might look like the bull in the Bugs Bunny cartoon where he uh, yeah. becomes a matador. That's the bull that would come out if you accidentally put milk in a bovril. Yeah, but I mean, you know, just, just interested. But that was the first half. Bovril, milk and three goals. But yeah. by the second half, the rain had started to come down. It was that fine rain which soaks you through. So to start with, you made an inspired call 
which was, let's go and sit in the stand. I figured as long as we were at the front, yep. so there wouldn't be anybody particularly breathing in our faces. Very true. And nearest the kind of, you know, the entrance and what have you. So like, you know, nearest the open air. I figured we'd be okay. It, it it turned out to be one of your better decisions because inside that stand was a, a bear pit of emotion and noise and life. Just over our left shoulder. <laughs> These, the, the commentators, and I don't know who they were representing. There were two of them. There were, I think that one of them was obviously a, think... a, doing something for Enfield. They were obviously an Enfield-based commentator. And then there was a... But they were... I, in Enfield, I could understand them doing that for an away match. They were incredibly partisan. And But there was all... Yeah, but there, but there were two doing it. Because in, on radio commentary, it's certainly on the BBC, they don't do a full 45 minutes. They change at midway through the half. Yeah, they always have done. They, uh, I, I, I did actually check this a while ago, and they do still do that because I don't listen to football on the radio ever. But um, well, I don't. I, no, I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't ever listen to the radio. If it were, ever. if it's anything like that, then I might have to start because it was incredible. I, I very much enjoyed it. It was very strange being at a match and having commentary. It was really. It was very peculiar. Particularly, it has to be said, whenever the, whenever there was a, a moment of high drama or high tension, the, the the partisan nature of the commentary did come out, and there were times when the commentators were remonstrating with the Enfield bench about things, and yeah. and it just gave me the idea that. All football commentators should now be placed in such an area where they can be heard by, shall we say, 25% of the crowd and all yeah, of the players yeah. and all of the people in the dugouts because it, it was a spicy meatball. As the, as the rain carried on falling and Bogner carried on attacking... And Enfield carried on defending and time wasting, yeah. and the tackles were flying in left, right, and centre. And the referee, who was I think about fourteen years old, was looking more and more terrified at the what he got himself into. There was some real spice developing. Yeah, there was. It was strange. It was. It was. It was, an, it was a heady mixture. It's one of the most entertaining halves of football I've watched for a long time. Yeah. Because, I mean, Bogner were... Let's not let's not beat about the bush. Bogner had four really good chances in that second half. Yeah. And they, they mean, Enfield scored... Had, Enfield, had a, Enfield had a player sent off, first of all. Let's well, yeah. Uh, yeah. For, for kicking the ball away. <laughs> he did. Yeah, Bogner... Bogner narrowly shot wide that was one of their chances and the Enfield player Emmanuel Maja Owesu chipped the ball in a cheeky way over the top of yeah. the stand which earned him a booking for yeah. descent yeah I mean having, having really, already been bo- <laughs> just a really stupid thing to do 
I, that's a really stupid. I have included. Uh, uh, I've included a a clip, a sound clip from the uh, from the game for a bit of atmosphere, and oh, right. that is the exact moment in the game. Uh, oh, for, okay. For the, Fair and enough. you'll be able to hear the the commentators and and the dog, and <laughs> the other the other people in the stand, and it's oh god, it's wonderful. Yeah, I didn't. I I didn't actually see it. <laughs> I think I was looking the other way, as I'm wont to do. My eyes do tend to dart a little bit just around the ground during football matches. I could tell from the reaction when I did look back, because I only missed it by a split second, because obviously as soon as you hear the noise. Yeah. Um, but I could tell from the reaction of the players, I was like, well, he's a goner then. That's, you, know, you, you could see straight away from the reaction of the others, like, oh my fucking God, what the hell did you do? I watched the highlights on YouTube. And it's interesting, he, he didn't boot the ball. It wasn't yeah. a fully petulant thing. He just sort of lifted it, really. And it, and it went all the way over the top of the stand. You wonder yeah. if, had it not cleared the stand, maybe he would have stayed, he would have stayed on. on. Yeah. Well, you wonder whether, because I was actually thinking this a minute ago, but I was I was thinking, no, he's just going to think I'm, you know, got my club colours on or something. Well... But I did kind of think to myself, a chip is kind of what you do if you're trying to withdraw your foot but can't quite. And I wonder whether he was like, his brain was still, the ball is in open play mode and he was ready to just welly it. Yeah. And then the whistle went, but the message didn't quite get from his brain to his foot in time. And he was just in the middle of withdrawing that enormous welly when the ball kind of hit his foot and just chipped out of the ground. That's That, I think, is plausible. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably... It, it doesn't... No other responses make sense. He got booked. He would have known that, you know. And he would also know, surely, that kicking the ball out the ground for no particularly good reason would at least be a risk. Of a, of a second yellow card. So, like I say, the possibility that it happened almost in error. Yeah. Is something either either way, though, once he'd been sent off, that was the beginning of fun times for all. The, at one point, the Enfield bench were remonstrating with some stewards, I think possibly about some damage that had been done to a dressing room door. So there's, there were arguments off the field. Some of the tackles that were flying in on the field were a real eye-opener. We both thought that it was inevitable that somebody else was going to get sent off, and somehow that didn't happen. Yeah, Bogner had four really, really good chances, scored the hardest one, and absolutely spunked the other ones away, including right at the death, a real sitter was missed. They didn't include that in the YouTube highlights because, because obviously, you know, they are themselves partisan, aren't they? Yeah. Well, they both missed one right at the death, didn't they? They Enfield did, yeah, yeah. Both. And Enfield's was like the last kick of the ball. I mean, we were right up the other... Foul, right, yeah, foul went, went for a break. Like, oh, Christ, am I? Yeah, he's through. He got through in the goal. And the yeah, keeper had to make a save, yeah. 
Yeah, so they even then, and Enfield had been through the mill for like the previous fifty minutes. They had well, yeah, it was really it was hard to, hard to remember such a one way game because uh, I was yeah. expecting well, great I mean, things because this Enfield team are doing very well in the league and they're third at the moment, but they have got a game in hand over Folkestone who are in second. The interesting thing about Enfield this season is that a lot of their wins have come about either from coming from behind or with very late goals. You, you I've tended to look at their result, they, they, you know, I'll follow them on Twitter, obviously. And um, I do tend to look at their, you know, you'll, you'll go into a game quite often this season, see their 1-0 down after 20 minutes, go back in at 10-5. to Oh, look at that, they've just scored a winning goal to make it 2-1. Yeah, and it's probably Mohamedou Fall. Yeah, they've been going the other kind of direction with that. And they nearly snatched it again today. Just because they can break very effectively when he's in the mood. Well, they, yeah, and and he is a really, really outstanding player. I don't. I think there was a genuine sense whenever any other Enfield player got the ball that the the home crowd didn't seem particularly worried. But there was a sort yeah. of a uh, an intake of breath when Fall got it yeah. because it was oh, shit because he actually yeah. can do things. This this boy. But then again, I mean, Worthing, who are top of the table, if Enfield win their game in hand, which is eminently plausible, Worthing would still be five points clear. Yeah, uh, they, yeah. they beat Brightling Sea Regent, who are a team I've never heard of, um, <laughs> 3-0 at the weekend, with two goals yeah. from Oliver Pierce, who has a very similar goal-scoring record to Mohamedou Fall. Yeah, they're like the top of the... Probably the top two scores in the division, I'd have thought. By heck. We've seen a few games in that league this year, of what with Worthing and um, Bogner Regis. There is something about matches in the middle of winter when it really gets going, when a game really gets going in the second half or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and the floodlights are almost like a cover over the pitch and the atmosphere intensifies and people have kind of warmed up a little bit. Maybe they've had a cup of tea or a pint at half-time. Bovril. A, mil- a, a milky bovril. Yeah. Or a nice white bovril. <laughs> bovril with capu, cream. Capu bovril. <laughs> Foam on the top. You don't want to. You don't want to know what that's made of. <laughs> You're a foot and mouth foam. But there is this particular atmosphere that is quite intoxicating and really draws you in about a game when it gets to uh, its latter stages and everybody's invested in it to some extent or the other. And you don't even have to necessarily be invested in a partisan sense. You can just get drawn right into whatever's happening. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was absolutely without uh, uh, skin in that particular fight. And I, I, I had a great time. It was brilliant. And those 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 matches, particularly at this time of year for some reason, always say, I don't know if you remember this, when we went to see a game at Whitehall, it was about this time of year. And I'll tell you when it was, actually. It was the night that England were playing Argentina. 
Oh, in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> it was that game that was a really, really good game. Yeah. I got home in time for like the second half of it or the last 20 minutes of it or something. And it had a really, really exciting last kind of 10, 15 minutes. There wasn't anything riding on it. It was just a friendly. Mm. But I think it was that day. And that day, Whitehawk were playing somebody and we were there. And it, and that was one of those games. And the lights came on. And everybody started getting drawn into it. And, and and I remember walking out from this. It was all mud and it smelled of fags and it smelled of BO and it smelled of deep heat, you know. Yeah. And I looked up at the TV screen and they were standing in this kind of gilded tunnel just about to take to the pitch in Riyadh or wherever this game was being played. This marble, actual marble tunnel. You know, standing on a red carpet. And I was like, oh, look at that. Carpet's red in here as well. Well, it used to be. And uh, and I was like, and it it was a really good, almost like a conscious decision in my life. The fact that I can still remember and it was fucking years ago i just um recognized in that moment that 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 stuff isn't for me where i take my pleasure from football is in the smell of deep heat and the mud and the people who are kind of not very good at football but are still much better than i yeah and that i mean with the with the 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 floodlights on and the rain this continual fine drizzle of rain just it was like a casserole (laughs) it was like we were under a lid. Yeah, it was a. Oh, I knew you'd get a, find a way of getting a reference to lid. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I um, could have said shepherd's pie, but you know. No, you. you prefer I, I, I prefer a lid. I absolutely love it, but at the same time, I'm not in a special hurry to get back to football. I never am. I'm always like, oh, should I go to a game this weekend? Nah, because it looks to me a bit like these Omicron cases are just about to explode so this weekend i probably won't go to the game so i can i can i can i, can, I always feel as though i can take it or leave it but we'll always we'll always have those juicy isthmian memories it has to be said that we did go through a spell of going to really bad games yeah that's true the actual games themselves weren't any, and i i was i was thinking about this actually a few years ago. And I thought to myself, have I ever actually been to a decent game with you? <laughs> or do the games that we go to always suck? Um, uh, um, they they have a tendency towards suck. I mean, the worst the worst one of all was Brighton versus Huddersfield. Yeah, that really sucks. That they If they were still playing now, it'd still be nil-nil. But no, I mean, you know, we, we went to... I mean, you know, we would go, what, every other Saturday maybe throughout the season? Something like that. Back when we were reckless. Young and reckless. Yeah, um, um, and we, we've kind of got back into that again a bit this season. <laughs> but I, I think that in all those years that we used to do it, which was probably something like eight or nine years, I don't think we saw a decent game. <laughs> I generally, yeah, I generally tend... I genuinely, when I actually started trying to think about it, I I couldn't. I generally tend, whenever I see a real humping, for example, it's when I've gone to a game without you. The last time I saw a real humping was at, I think it was Bexhill United versus Little Common. And I think it was something like 11-2... 
And that's quite one of the players. I, I forget whether it was uh, Bexhill or, or Little Common who won. One of the players scored about six goals, which incidentally right. is the sort of number of goals that Mohamedou Fall ought to have scored with his yeah, enormous yeah, advantage yeah. in terms of ability. Yeah, but I mean we've done we've done really well this season, haven't we? We've seen some good games this season. Yeah, we have. We've I don't seen... think, think we've seen a lot of results. We've seen a lot of draws. This year, yeah, yeah, but I mean that draws a good game, don't they? What, what what have we seen this year? We saw Worthing against Corinthian Casuals. That was a good that was game. spirited, yeah. Was yeah. Uh, we've seen a few at Shore. Was that two? Was that two one? I think it was one nil. Was it one nil? But it was a good one nil. Yeah, a good one nil. Yeah, I packed packed it all in, didn't it? We've seen we've seen minutes. Shoreham get paddled a couple of times. Yeah, they they weren't very good. But the, I mean, this one was. Very much the top end so far. That yeah. that second oh, but, half. Oh, well, no, that and the St Albans game. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, St Albans again. Very, very engaging yeah. second half. All of the goals having been scored really in the first half. It was it sort of you you would have thought that your fun would be over, but actually it was just beginning. Yeah, I mean, just looking at it, I I would say that we've we've had three games this season that have been better than any other games that we've ever been to together before. And there's nothing, nothing on this earth that could stop it, apart from, obviously, coronavirus. Coronavirus part three, the omicroning. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, God, here we go again. I'm getting my booster tomorrow. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not getting my booster until after Christmas because I, what I really want to do is head into the new year not knowing which way's up. And what what cheaper way of doing that? The <laughs> bottle of port. Yeah. Well, hopefully I won't even need the bottle of port from what I've heard. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Everybody, you know, get your boosters, get your get your vaccines. Yeah, it has been knocking people out, hasn't it? I mean, it could well, that could well be me, couldn't it? It could well. Oh, well, this time tomorrow. Well, we... Pray for Ian. (laughs) Well, by the time this podcast comes out, we'll know for sure whether or not it killed you. Because if this doesn't come out on Thursday, (laughs) you've died and haven't been able to put it up. (laughs) <laughs> oh right so it's not it's not as a mark of respect or anything well uh, kinda I suppose only, ju- only because you don't know the password <laughs> to the <laughs> cast account yeah that's it really right that's that's football for this week kids that's that's football that's everything you need to know about football in the entire world I tell you what right it was a really fucking Bullshit, nondescript weekend in the Premier League this weekend. Yep. Right, load of old tops. Everyone who you thought was going to win, won. Everyone you thought was going to lose, lost. Everyone who you thought was going to get COVID, got got COVID. COVID. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at TWOHT. You can find him at 200%pod. Yep. Excellent. We'll be back again same time next week. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah.